Welcome to Rising to the Top Lessons in Leadership, brought to you by Columbia University. This is a podcast where we interview senior industry leaders who share the secrets of their success and reveal pivotal moments that impacted their career path. Come listen as they shed light on obstacles they overcame, as well as wins they achieved. My name is Paul Maniacci from the Career Design Lab, and I will be your host for today's discussion with Brandon Mikulowski. Finding that stuff and putting the paint where it ain't for a company and and just saying like, no matter what happens, if this place comes down to four people, I want you to consider me one of those four. I want to be the backbone of this place that you cannot stand up without me. And understanding it's not always going to be perfect, but it's always better than doing nothing. Always looking for that opportunity because you never know what that might lead to. Brandon Mikulowski is the head of creative and content studio at GSTV. Brandon is an award-winning director and writer with over two decades of experience crafting custom content solutions. His work is known for infusing technology and emerging media into branded content with past works incorporating augmented reality, biometrics, voice recognition, and artificial intelligence. Brandon won a Clio in 2021 for his work in mobile gaming and worked on the landmark film OJ Made in America the only property to ever be awarded both an Emmy and Academy Award. Mr. Mikulowski is currently the head of creative and content studio at GSTV, working with bucket list brands such as McDonald's, Pepsi, and Snickers. He was a presenter at this year's IAB New Fronts and has previously been a guest speaker, lecturer at Columbia University, Marymount Manhattan College, the Rubin Museum of Art, Advertising Week, among others. Brandon, thank you so much for, for taking the, the time to speak with us today. Yeah, totally my pleasure. I'm really glad to be doing this. In speaking with you previously about your career, you seem to have made your own opportunities where they didn't exist, even going back to when you were a student at Marymount Manhattan College. For example, you talked about your internship or what turned into an internship while working at Caroline's Comedy Club. I was wondering if you could share with our audience a little bit about that experience and and what you learned from that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always believed very heavily in doing internships. And at the time, I had done two different stints at Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Obviously, I have a huge active interest in comedy that still persists to this day. And, And I was just, you know, I always looked at the Village Voice and back then, Uh, in their classified sections, which is what most New Yorkers did, and just see, like, what was around and any opportunities I might find. And Caroline's on Broadway at the time had been hiring um, just for, like, a general staff position of a host uh, for their their dining room and maybe a waiter, maybe a bartender. And uh, this was maybe a couple months after 9-11. And if anyone listening is old enough to remember that turbulent time in New York City, um, you know, it's probably similar to the job market today. And I remember I'd gone to interview somewhere maybe the week prior, and it was a seven-hour wait to be seen for one open position somewhere. Um, and that happened to be like a bartending job. I was just looking to pick up something uh, on the side. And I saw that Caroline was hiring, and I said, let me go downstairs and, and check it out. And uh, similar, there were, I think, 70, 80 people in, in, uh, waiting downstairs, waiting in line with paper resumes in hand like we did back in the day. Um, and, and somehow I, I rose to the top and I got the job there and I just showed initiative and kept, you know, asking questions and what their needs were and, and, uh, any opportunities that could, that could be around. And they knew I was dangerously close to graduating at the time, senior in college. 
and they'd never had an intern. And, um, and I, I did an internship at Caroline's and then I actually did an independent study. And my independent study actually um, was like producing shows at Caroline's. And, um, and those shows, once I graduated college, you know, created a full-time position for me. And I, I stayed there for about two and a half years, becoming their director of advertising, working on their first ever website, um, different times, dating myself once again. But uh, but it was it was cool. And just, you know, it was knowing that this is where I want to be and, and, you know, how can I become more deeply involved and, and identifying their needs at the time. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I just made that into a great situation for myself. And and uh, and I was really happy that the opportunity didn't exactly exist, but I think I've been lucky enough in my career to to prove enough of my value and my worth that they were just like, if this guy's going to graduate, he's going to have other opportunities. We don't really want to miss out, and and it just worked out with for everyone. And can you talk about how you you took what you were doing on the street for Carolines and then have have implemented that along the way? So you were talking about like showing up with something uh, that, that you've either created. But I imagine that that the conversation might look a little different if it's a, a targeted conversation, right? So for instance, you're pitching to a client. How does how does that differ as opposed to pitching to some random passerby or in Times Square? Yeah, it's that, you know, anyone you talk to, um, they have a need. And, and even could be even for students, right? Like if I'm approaching a professor and I have an ask and, and, you know, it's just like, okay, what value can I provide that person? Everyone hates that cold call. Like I'll accept someone on LinkedIn and three seconds later, they have like the giant form, like they're asking me for something or like buy a service. And I'm like, make it personalized. That's everything I do. It's personalized to that individual. I drive this into everyone. Like if you're going to ask something of someone, like do a little bit of research and just be like, hey, Paul just had a birthday. So like when you're reaching out to him, make sure you wish him a belated birthday because it sucks if someone hits me up on November 26th asking for something and they don't realize it's my big day. And you're just like, okay, so this is all about you right now, not about me at all. Can you talk about, and, and I wonder if it begins with Caroline's or, or maybe Conan O'Brien, or maybe you've had a few of these, but has there been a, would you say there's been a pivotal moment in your career that kind of set you on your path or have there, or potentially there's been multiple pivots that you've had? Oh, yeah. I mean, this industry, it's evolving daily uh, and rapidly. And, and I think I I try to read a lot about my industry, stay on top of everything, um, just be topical, just be because, again, seeing the trends coming and being able to, to change with the times and being at the forefront of them, you know, just allows you to be open to every opportunity possible. But, like, it's funny because I think we talked about this previously, like, in terms of my life, if I look at it, like, cinematically, there's probably been, like, two or three dramatic arcs where I'm just like, that was a big moment in my career. But I, I remember I posted about this on LinkedIn maybe two years ago. I do this every now and again. I'll go through and like thank people that took a chance on me. Someone took a flyer on me. Every job you've ever had means somebody believed in you. Someone said yes, you interviewed, you spoke to some folks. Um, there was a lot of risk there. There's a lot of chance bringing anyone into any organization. I was working at a company, the String Theory, a uh, boutique design agency, really cutting edge work, really cool. Um, I had been coming from a larger uh, agency at the time, and I took a big risk going to a much smaller outfit. But I knew that the work was great, and it was diverse work from what I had been producing previously. And we had an opportunity to come our way, and I went all in for it. I knew, I knew the outcome. I was like, this is a really, really cool project. It will win awards. 
I didn't understand how many and how much, but I worked on O.J. Made in America, which is the only film never won an Oscar and an Emmy, which can never be done again because I believe all the policies have since changed. Um, but we were able to qualify for both, which was outstanding, and it won. And I remember that night when that got announced um, for Best Documentary Feature, and, and you know we had, we had visualized that moment, but seeing it happen was like, okay, cool. Like I, that's, that's a bucket list type item. But then you have to be able to spin that, right? For, you know, just like, how do I build off that momentum? How do I alert clients that this happened? If I'm searching for another role in the future, like I need to make sure that like, that's very prominent, the work that I uh, that I did on it, make sure it's accurately reflected, like in my, you know, on my website, on my bio, my resume, the work that I had done for that film and, and the awards that it won and, and the length of time that it took to get something like that to fruition. Um, and the second one was like recently, like a month ago, I was uh, another bucket list item, but at GSTV, I was one of our presenters at the IEB New Fronts. And New Fronts Week is like, you know, taking out on um, parading around your new content uh, ideation, your new your pilots really for the next year uh, to, to the advertising industry, the content industry. And, and you know, that week is it's it's Peacock, NBC, it's it's Hulu, it's. Um, you know, YouTube and, and, you know, Meta and, and like, you know, and I was on that like grand stage and being able to present some stuff that I had produced with my team. Um, so that was a huge thrill. Also incredibly nerve wracking, but, but, uh, but, and I remember thinking it was a cinematic moment, like you go in for the tech rehearsal and like, there's like a buzz and people are just like, you, you go over there and you, you're going to stand right here and someone's going to put a mic on you and then we're going to put you out. And you're like, okay, this is real. Like, this is a big deal. This is something I need to relish in and understand that this is a big moment. I just wanted to, to transition to talking about how you've made choices in your career. And it seems that you're very intentional in those choices you've made and they've led you to where you are. Previously, uh, when we talked prior, you spoke about taking lower level roles to gain exposure and and to kind of rise up within the organization. Can you speak about this in terms of your strategy? Yeah, I operate out of absolute fear because again, most people don't, don't ever think that about me, but um, it's always fear of what's next. It's um, fear of remaining stagnant. It's fear of not producing great work. So I'm constantly like pulling back the camera and staring at my life and just being like, you know, what can I do right now to shake things up? Uh, do I have a void? I'm all about voids. And I'm just like, wow, I haven't really done anything in such and such a space or I haven't partnered with anybody with like as such and such brand. How can I fulfill that? And, and sometimes to do that, you have to understand, I always use the parallel you know, if you were a manager at McDonald's, you're not going to be a manager at Smith and Walensky. It's, you come into that role, you have to understand. It's like they're not directly translatable as 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 experiences. Um, but you know, you certainly have have the basics of it, and you have the aptitude to learn. So, I think for me, it's always just understanding that's just like okay. An old boss once said to me, "Always bet on yourself," and and I took that to heart. And it's like, I might do a role where, pff, I, I, actually now people do, you know, transparently talk about numbers, but I mean, I've taken jobs where I was making like $40,000 a year less and people thought I was insane. And then I've doubled my salary in a year and, and then sometimes tripled it, um, which is crazy. But I always knew that like, this is the opportunity. This was the path. This was the place. These are the people and I can make this work for myself. So, you know, for me, it was even like, I said, you know, hey, if I have to go back to, 
bartending for a night, you know, here and there just to, to make it like that's okay with me. I, I have no ego about that. Pick up some more freelance work. Sure. People come to me. It's like, I can always, I can always do that to fatten out a year and, and look at things. But when the opportunity's right, um, you know, I certainly don't shy from it. I, I actually, I, I move towards it and just saying to myself, all right, I've done so much work in this space and the work is great, but you know, I haven't really won any awards. Work I know that, like, I know, like, this work is going to be award-winning. Cool, I'll, I'll go there. And then after a certain point, it's like, okay, but I, I've been using really the same, the same processes, the same techniques. I haven't diversified into such a space, so now I'm going to move here. And, and just knowing, again, that it's, you know, you get to my level and maybe not always every opportunity um, is suited for both you and for the employer, right? It's it's they can't just always take a risk on me, and maybe that comes with a certain price tag, and it's it's not something that's amenable to them. But you know, you find a way to make it work for everybody, and and being open to that. I make all my decisions quickly. They haven't always been maybe the best decisions. I like to think they've all been pretty good. Um, but that's that's I think one of those hallmarks of leadership too is that. I can make that decision quickly. I stand behind those decisions, and then I'm willing to change again. And and just understanding the fact that, you know, there could be consequences with with every decision I make. But as long as I'm able to to move quickly enough, you can you can course correct pretty quickly with your career. You mentioned that that a lot of your career and your decision making is is based in fear, and also you mentioned your your humble upbringings. Can you talk about how those things have shaped you as a professional? I've been fortunate slash unfortunate enough to be at the age where I've gone through, I think, like four economic downturns already in my career, which is crazy. You think of, like, your parents, they maybe had, like, one, and like, two over, like, 35, 40 years. Uh, I've had several, and and I think that you'd have to be, you know, pretty negligent to not look around you in the world and just see that, like, okay, it's going to be a tough year for everybody um, and, and understanding that and, and just liking to think that you're indispensable but knowing that may not be absolutely the case. So preparing for the hard times. And, I mean, growing up, that's what my family did, right? You know, we had our fair share of hard times and you try to brace for them and prepare for them. You have a plan. You have a backup plan. Uh, just so that, you know, you, you still, I always say, you know, Paul, you know this too, but, um, my grandfather on my, on my dad's side was a boxer and that absolutely, uh, that, that presents itself frequently in my career because I just look at all of my opportunities like it's a boxing match. I, I wait for the right openings. Um, you know, I've even said like back in the, you know, when I'm, when I've been pitching and, and going out and trying to get new work or find new opportunities and people in the industry say oh you know January February is a dead time no one does any business you know people just give up and like that's when I come out swinging because it's like you know you think I'm on the ropes I'm looking for the opening I always come out swinging I always have some moves left and I have to be ready to go the full 12 rounds and and if you're not really in it for that long stretch um, that's when you're going to get gas. That's when you're going to find yourself face down. But you just always have to say to yourself, you know, there's there's something I can do right now to turn this around. There's the the bell's going to ring. I can take a break. I can have a rest, and I can come back out stronger. And I just got to keep swinging. If you don't have that, if you don't have that sense of drive or that passion, um, that's fine. You know, I'm hoping there's you can rely on something else. That just happens to be a strength that I have. I I just have that level of determination. And that came from really having no other option. Brandon, can you talk about suggestions or advice that you would have for students during the process of, of interviewing? And then once they accept a role at an organization, 
how can they make themselves stand out? You talked about becoming this this employee that's indispensable so that they want to keep you around. What what can they do to, to stand out in those ways? I would say during the interview process, this is something that I think I've gotten much better at, um, is thinking of your experiences as a story, right? Just having a beginning, middle, and end. Um, trying to find three great things that you've done and being able to tailor those to any question. It's um, if someone asks me about a particular project or a particular strength I have or a particular weakness, always being able to bring it back to a story format has worked for me. And just being able to, you know, really uh, articulate the highs and the lows of, of, of that part of my life, of, of something that I'm really proud of and, and the pitfalls and the people involved and the, and the work on that project. I think it's great to be able to communicate that. And you just always want to have that down to a few key points. And there's different, you know, methodologies behind that. You can look them up when you, you know, for interview styles, someone will have different ways to, to actually articulate the results that you achieved and, you know, the, everything. But I still, because I don't like to, again, be overly rehearsed, I just know the story of it because it's all true. So you never have to worry about being nervous in an interview. It's like I'm going to tell an honest story of the work I did with like you know Sour Patch Kids and building an augmented reality app that was you know led by voice recognition. I could speak about that easily because I remember it because I lived it and it's all real. So um, when you're younger, you may have less of those, but you can really turn any of those stories in into you know a win for yourself. If you were just lifeguarding every summer, it's like okay, well, how does that translate? Like what 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 was what was that story? Maybe it's how you landed that job, or maybe there was a one pivotal day that you know something crazy happened and you became the star, you became the hero of that day. Just having those down, and I think just having three of them at all times it will, will set you up for success. And in terms of once you've landed that role, how do you stay? I'm incredibly proud to say I've never once in my career been a part of a layoff. I've never been a part of, you know, any kind of riff. I've never been a part of, you know, I've never been fired from anything I've ever done. Um, and I've been at places that were quite small and during, again, economically turbulent times. But I, I think it just comes down to looking around in abject horror and fear and just being like, okay, like what, what's going on around here? Um, you know, they might, they might be reducing We Like, am I going to take a huge salary cut? Like, what can I do just to make sure that I stick around this place? And to me, it was looking at like, what are the things that this company needs that they can't do without, you know, what are, what are its basic life functions? And can I do one of those? Um, and, and bringing as much of that work in house as we can, you know, looking at vendors and I've been very, very good to my vendors in my career, but you know, there are times where it's like, Hey, look, instead of like, killing off the salary of like one of my employees is there work that we could, that we're paying for that we can bring in house during a tougher time and save that person's job. Um, and when it gets really slim and I'm the one on the line, you know, in the past I've, I've gone to, to, to an employer and I've said, you know, Hey, look, I, I understand we're tightening our belts around here. I don't love social media. Uh, I used to, I used to be on it quite frequently. I was like, but you know what, if you need me, like I noticed we don't even have an Instagram page. Like I can start up an Instagram page for us. You guys don't have an email list. I can start getting an email list together. We don't do e-blasts. I can write our e-blasts. Um, press releases, I can take a stab. Um, it's not going to be as great as if you hired, like, you know, a PR firm, but, like, it's better than what you're doing now, which is zero. Um, our website sucks. Why don't I take it into Wix? Why don't I see if I can redo it? Like, you just, like, finding that stuff and putting the paint where it ain't for a company and, and just saying, like, no matter what happens, if this place comes down to four people, I want you to consider me one of those four. I want to be the backbone of this place, that you cannot stand up without me. And and I, I think I've been always good and willing to, again, do the work there. And, 
and understanding it's not always going to be perfect, but it's always better than doing nothing and and just being honest with with you know your your peers or with your with your um, with your boss, with your employers, your supervisors, anyone, and you know just just always looking for that opportunity because you never know what that might lead to. I, I'd like to to talk to you a little bit about so you've talked about how people can be successful as as individuals. I'm wondering from the the leadership aspect of things, are there certain things that have surprised you about leading a team and things that you think uh, have been useful in managing a team? You have to trust people and and you have to be willing to let go of certain things. And, you know, that's that's especially with creative. Um, you know, everyone always wants to be creative and everyone wants to have their idea be the idea and their idea win. But that that's when you're running a creative team full of creative professionals. You can't do that. And there's a lot of sensitivity around the work. So, you know, it certainly impacts your style as a leader in that space. And in terms of like what surprised me the most, which I think dovetails off that perfectly, is, you know, how well you get to know people that work for you. And um, because you have to be keenly aware of their strengths, of their weaknesses. Um, again, people have different abilities, sometimes different reasons, you know, mentally, mentally, physically, whatever it may be. You know, someone might not be at that particular moment the perfect person for that project. And being able to understand that, and, and I like to set people up for success and for wins and, and just say, like, don't give that to Paul. Like, Paul's not, that, that's just not what Paul does. Like, that's going to take him nine hours. It's going to take someone else 42 minutes. Like, give him the thing he will crush. And it doesn't mean he can't learn to do it, but, like, setting someone up for that. Because, you know, it's that, that's always what I've wanted to do is, and being able to move those resources around and, and just let people constantly stack their wins and, and just be like, you know, you're crushing it right now and building up their confidence so they have the, the ability to take on more in the future versus like giving them, you know, something that's just not in their brain space that they could really accomplish. And, and that also goes like you start to really know the folks that work for you just because you learn about them as people and about their, you know, families and things they have going on just because they have to bring that to you. So, you know, it's so funny, but, you know, if someone's just like, you know, oh, call Paul right now, he'll know the answer. I'm like, hey, man, his kid's got a soccer tournament. I'm like, what? I'm like, well, let me put in for the time off. But you don't think you get really, like, you just know, because that's the thing. It's like if you're creating that team as a bond and as a family, you know, you really do have to care about those folks on that on that level. Um, because I have always led with kindness, and I'm a very empathetic individual, and, and I believe very strongly in that. And and I, I think I'm somewhat of a vigilante on the other side, is that when I, you know, see someone being a like I'm, I'm perfectly capable of calling them out. Um, and I, and I actually relish those opportunities to do so because I think I've, I have a couple decades of, of really goodwill in the industry that people will back up and just say, that's a really nice guy. He leads with kindness. He's fair. Um, so I, I really don't create a lot of room on teams for someone to, you know, just treat people in a way that I wouldn't want to be treated. I certainly don't stand for it. No matter what your level, what your position, um, you know, I've had, I've made bosses go and apologize to members of my team where I, I felt like they were spoken down to, um, especially publicly. And, and I've always been the same way. If you're going to, if you're going to do that publicly, if you're going to insult someone publicly, tear them down publicly, you need to apologize publicly. That's not an email. That's not a Slack message. Um, those are tough conversations to have, but you know, I, I've, I've been good at that in my career and just, uh, Maybe it's from being a stand-up again. Maybe it's from dealing with hecklers and drunks and maybe someone throwing stuff. But, you know, when I feel like someone is getting a little rowdy, um, being able to stand up and be a voice for someone and, and just saying, like, hey, man, that's really not the way you speak to someone like that. So 
I, I definitely champion that. Thanks for sharing your, your philosophies on, on teams and, and this idea of, of actually taking the time to get to, to know your staff. Um, I think this actually transitions a little bit to uh, this idea of taking care of yourself. So we like to ask our interview subjects how they, how they take care of themselves and if they practice any self-care. So I was wondering if you have made time in your life. I know that you're a family man now and... So you have that that you're balancing and then a demanding job. How do you practice self-care? Do you practice self-care? You know, I'm never a person to be uh, without words. And, and when you sent me these questions, and we talked about it even last time, I was like, oh, my gosh, do I practice enough self-care? Because um, it's weird. I, I Do I carve out, like, enough activities for me to do to enjoy? Probably not. But I think that's because I really enjoy everything that I do. Um, I, I really, I'm a Sagittarius. I'm an unbelievably positive person. I see the good in everything. So like if you, you know, like one of my friends said one time, like, you know, they were, they were saying like, yeah, if you invited Brandon out and said like, look, I really need somebody to go to concert with me tonight. It's really far away. It's super late at night. The band sucks and the drinks are terrible. You'd say what time? Um, it, because I'm, I'm going to make the most of any situation. Um, and I'd like to also be there as a, a support for people. So, you know, is there anything particularly in my week or my day or my month that I, I do for self-care? Nothing like an actual like pinpoint. I, I've, I get enough enjoyment out of doing stand-up at night and I've been on hiatus from that now for a little bit. So hopefully returning very soon. Um, I think that anytime I seek out a project, although it's still basically work and sometimes generates revenue, you know, in, in the past, um, I still need to enjoy what I'm doing. I, I wouldn't take a job on that I didn't really care to do. So I'm going to get enjoyment out of it. I know that sounds masochistic to be like his self-care is taking on more work, but I, I really do enjoy a lot of what I do. And other than that, every four to five weeks, I need to get a haircut. And when they shampoo my scalp, it's probably the most enjoyable five minutes of my month. And I can't go without it. I've always said if I was like super rich, I would just pay for that service every day. It's like, just bring me in, soap me up and do my hair. Um, no, but it's like those, those little wins for me sometimes are enough where it's just, I guess, I guess being able to maintain my routine is my self-care. Like I have to work out like two to three nights a week, even still, no matter how busy I get, I have to find that time. And, and, and you start to rob Peter to pay Paul with your day and just being like, okay, tonight I really can't accomplish X or Y, uh, just because there are things that I must do in my routine to feel normal, even if they maybe don't give me the amount of self-care that I need. It just, I guess that preservation of normalcy is important to me. The other one would probably be that, like, I don't even back in my much wilder days and, and my much, you know, later nights and busier, busier times, I still always cooked, which always shocked people. I cook, like, every meal, every night of the week for me to, like, eat out or get delivery. It, like, never happened. I would say, like, one or two nights a month. Um... Because it's something I have to do, right? It's part of my routine anyway. But if it's going to take 10, 15 minutes waiting around, whatever, I, I can keep a better eye on my health. And it also just occupies my night. And it, it just keeps that night in balance. Like, yeah, I just, I cook for myself. I cook for others. I have leftovers. I just, for some reason, that's always been uh, a thing for me is, is maybe, maybe it's a way to establish a boundary. So like, I have to be home by seven because I cook or I have to, you know, no matter what, by eight, I got to be home cooking. Um, I, I always was that way since I was like 18 or 19 years old and, and cooked all my meals. So I, I think that is a self-care thing because I enjoy it. And it, it's also one of those things too, you know, in, in speaking to like keeping that boundary. But like if someone called me with something really important, you'd be like, hey man, I'm cooking. 
I'm, I'm making dinner. It's like people never argue with that. It, it's, 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 it's a funny thing. But uh, I remember one time I was like during the pandemic where lines really started to blur. I was on a work call and this one guy goes, what is that sound? And I was going to come up with like a really defensive answer. And I went, I'm making chicken cutlets. Like, well, don't worry. You call me at 7 p.m. Making chicken cutlets or sizzling. Well, you know, you're on my time right now. Uh, you know, but it, but it, to me, it's just like having that, I think, is um, for me, it's it's peaceful because it's such a it's such a solitary thing. It's it's me in my kitchen and I, I like grocery shopping and I like my cooking and I'll do it forever. Just to wrap up. So the first part is if you could talk about how you think your college experience has prepared you. And then the second part would be, you know, from what you've learned or for how you spent your time at college, how can you advise current college students to make the most of their time? I think college is, what was important for me was actually being able to laser focus on subjects that you want, right? You get to pick the classes. Like you say, like, I really want to go deep into something. And I, I think it's just, again, a perfect parallel to like how I've just led my life and, and the career and the path that I've chosen is just going all in on it. Like I, I, every, in college, I read every book cover to cover that I was assigned, whether we had to or not. And, you know, you're getting deep into a semester and it's like, okay, you know, there's four chapters left in this book. We're not going to cover it. I was like, this is why I'm here. I might as well read it. You know, it's like right now I know a pretty good amount of, you know, things about psychology that I probably had no need to for my career. But I was like, I'm here, you know, this is why you're, you're there. But it also, I think, it's it prepares you like you're for that real for the real world, not just like the studying the learning aspect of it, the hours that you put in, the commitments that you have, but you know also it's the time that you're really growing as a person, um, you know getting exposed to just so many new things and and having your universe just like split wide open, and and additionally, you know being able to pursue working world opportunities with internships. I'm a huge proponent of internships. I think I did four, maybe more throughout my time in college. In addition to picking up other, you know, smaller gigs or I, I had a big interest in film, obviously. I'd like work on a film set for three or four days and um, and I had the time to do so and and also be perfectly frank, the energy to do so. When I was 18, 19, 20, you know, I, I was a force. You know, right now, I think I still get a lot done in the day, but um, I, I, I was very very much aware that this is the time to do that. It's a time to explore. It's a time to, to learn new things, seek out opportunities, and that I may never have those type of chances again. And, and I wasn't the one that was like, you know, hey, class ends at 1 p.m. I'm going to go out to the bar. Mine was more like, okay, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., like what else can I do? Can I pick up something? Can I go learn something? Can I attend a seminar? Can I go to a museum? Like, it, and I, I was in New York, like most of the, obviously, you know, the students that you're dealing with are as well. You know, being able to have all of that, the luxury, you know, that, that really was embarrassment of riches to be able to pop into so many different institutions and and uh, and just, especially from a creative perspective, have that open up to me. It was important, and, and I think that was good for me. It was like I said to myself, for four years, you're just going to learn like crazy. And, and, and I'll be very truthful. I haven't read nearly as many books as I did in college. Um, I'm not like this. You know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's something I'm quite sad about. I was like, man, you used to read so much. I think it almost burnt me out. But uh, I, I still take in plenty of information. I do love my podcasts, obviously. Um, but the, the thing I always say to students, and it goes perfectly into students that are entering the working world or students that are pursuing internship opportunities, I've said this my whole life, is um, – always make sure you have 20 bucks in your pocket, have 20 bucks left in your bank account. Um, it's more important than going out with your buds, but you never know 
especially if you're interning, where someone's going to be like, hey, invite the intern out tonight. You might end up at some weird dinner party. You might end up going out for, you know, drinks afterward or some kind of get-together or some kind of team-building exercise. And and I was always really good about that. I had that little reserve account because that does happen. And, you know, you don't want to be that person who's just, ah, I can't really go out. I went out too much this week. Like, for me, I had that little slush fund for, for career advancement. And, and to be honest, it put me in some really interesting rooms when I was, like, 19 or 20 years old. So... I, I like to drill that into everyone. Just have that backup, 20, 50 bucks always in your account that you can tap into because you just, you really never know when that opportunity is going to come your way. And it will. People ask you out all the time to things like that and, and you just want to be prepared for it. Thank you for listening to Rising to the Top Lessons in Leadership. For more episodes, subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. To get more information and tips on how you can advance your career, visit Columbia University's Career Design Lab at careerdesignlab.sps.columbia.edu. Thank you to Peter Shea for sound editing this episode.